Hi, everybody. I'm here with Penny Kelly again. This is the fourth time that we've sat and talked, and this time is a little different story. In the past, we have talked about her books regarding what the robes showed her a few decades ago about the future of humanity. And this time, we're going to look at the present day and how their messages are now being seen and interpreted by Penny in a, in a different way because of current events. And so we're going to start talking uh, in the initial part of the conversation about the current political situation. This will probably end up a two-part story, just to let you know. But um, it's really important to set this up because uh, of the need to build bridges here. And Penny and I are both about building bridges. So here we go. Penny, it's so good to see you again. It's been eh, several months. I think it's been about a year since I last interviewed you. And your new book is out. And first of all, I want you to tell us why you decided to write this particular book at this time. I think the biggest thing was because the the anger level in the US and the division that was that I saw occurring was like, oh my God, is anybody gonna say anything about what's really going on and try to bridge that gap and bring the sides together because if nobody says anything, we're headed right into civil war. And so I thought, okay, I wrote a little essay that was very popular. And I thought when I started getting requests for an update, I thought, okay, I'll write an update. And then I started to write that and I just kept writing and more and more and pretty soon it was a book. So you know, here, here we are. <laughs> here we are. And it's interesting in that we're starting with today, we're starting with Trump, we're getting into QAnon and 4Channel, and then we're looking at also the other sides of it and questioning that, as well as looking at potential veracity. Look at what happens when disinformation is embedded in truthful information. This is a really big one, and that just that subject alone really divides people. Trump, of course, really divides people. I think it's fair to say most of the people in this audience do not understand Trump. Um, don't care for him and do not understand people who would support him. And mm -hmm. I'm going to put my position up front right now to begin with. I have said from the beginning, I think that we had to have Trump in order to unmask what's going on on this planet, push things to the max so we had to engage on a different level ourselves. So I think this was a necessary um, step that and it's happening all over the world, which further indicates that you had to have this kind of phenomena happen to push countries into expressing themselves one way or the other and get a chance to see who we are. So let's start. We're going to start from there. Essentially, it's two books in one. Explain why I'm saying it's two books in one, and then we'll go from there. Um, because I started out agonizing about what was happening in our country and around Trump and the, all of the arguments and the disinformation and the manipulation and the corruption. And I thought that was all we had to worry about. And then uh, one night I, I discovered that we had much more to worry about, that there was a an event coming that is called a micronova. And, and I was just blown away. It was like, oh my God. So the book starts out talking about Trump and what happens or is happening behind the scenes 
that very few people are paying attention to. If you're only watching mainstream media, you're not getting any of the truth at all. You're getting a very doctored and sometimes lying version of what's happening. And then, and then all this scientific information um, hit me like a brick. And so I ended up with this book that actually has two parts. It's, it does. So let's, let's start the journey this way, okay? And it'll back us into the politics of today and then take us through the politics of the past and how we got set up this way. Oh. What we as human beings all desire as a real true outcome here. And then we'll go into the visions, including a tour scenario and such, which I'm also, I have some things to share with you on that as well. So let's start with the manipulation of moving the people into dense city centers and off of the land and the effect that had on us as individuals and collectively, our psyche, our balance and our well-being. Yeah, that was one of the major uh, efforts that the cabal was making. The cabal is a group of people who really want control of the world. That's how I framed it in the book. And, and we're it, all on board with you on that. I don't think there's a person watching that doesn't agree that that's playing. Okay. okay. So one of the ways you have to move, one of, the, one of the pathways you have to push people along is to destroy their security. And you do that by taking them off the land because in a hundred years ago and in, in, in far back from that, you know, up until a hundred years ago, our security came from knowing how to grow food, how to manage animals, how to build things, et cetera, et cetera. That gave us our security. What happened was that there was the rise of finance, money. And the more you could get people to rely on money, instead of growing food, instead of raising animals, instead of building houses and you know keeping life simple, you get people to go and get a job, settle for money, use the money to buy the food, buy the house, buy the animals, buy the transportation, and voila. After a generation or two, nobody knows how to do anything anymore. Nobody knows how to survive on the land. And then you pull the rug out from under those people and they all die because nobody knows how to survive on the land. And that was the big plan. And so that's been pushed along and we are in a, a really dangerous place right now um, there was a little bit of a back to the land movement in the 60s. There's a little bit of another back to the land movement happening for the last 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. But it's minor compared to the number of people that are dependent on money. And so if you can convince people they have to have a job and they'll have a better life if they have a job, and then you dole out the money and you control the jobs, you know, you've got control. Well, and you, you move people away from their own skill sets, the traditional skill sets, and they're very, very vulnerable. So. This is true. And then if you control the food sources, the quality of the food, um, the uh, medical and pharmaceutical industry that right. also controls our health and well-being, and you start adding control elements to what's left, 
you really have a very depleted, exhausted, unhealthy populace. And this is happening in virtually all of the developed worlds, even though there are a few nations that are a little more conscious and do really fight to protect their citizens. Like they've kept Monsanto out, for example. Um, that's, that's just one example of where governments and people have come together. Ours has not come together. And in fact, let's talk sure. about this. It seems that seeing to it that the USA has a weakened citizenry and a very compliant and easy to control citizenry seems yeah. to be at the top of whatever these, whoever the cabal is, their list. Why is it that the USA is being so heavily worked with and targeted to break down into compliance? Because we were the most powerful country in the world. If you're going to have uh, a one world government, with just a few people at the top who run everything, you can't have a strong nation. You can't have any strong nations. Everybody has to be compliant. And so the goal was to break up the nations, all of them, and collapse national borders, and, and then say, oh, that's too bad. Let's do this. Let's put in this one, you know, one world government. We'll, we'll decide this. We'll handle the money. We'll handle the food. We'll handle the education. We'll do everything. And, um, and that, it, I think if they had said, if they had tried to sell that to us the way everybody else has to sell their stuff, if they had tried to convince us, if they had presented anything good that would come of that, if they had built a better mousetrap, maybe we would say, hey, I really like that idea. But when somebody goes about changing a massive system like the U.S. Constitution, then and they do it in a sneaky way, and they do it in a murderous way, and they do it in a way that makes everybody's quality of life less, then you have to say, I don't know if I trust you. I don't know if I like what you're doing. How do I know that you're telling me the truth? Because you haven't been honorable with anything else you've done. So here we are, finally <laughs> waking up, finally waking up slowly and saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. Um, and that's, uh, it's a good waking up. Chaotic, yes, but it's good. We have to come to, to the point where we're arguing because that's almost always part of a wake up process. We had to kiss the frog, which was Trump. And, and that kiss of, yes, we're electing you, gave him the permission and the power to take on the cabal. I don't know if he's gonna be successful in getting rid of the cabal. Um, if he's not, we're, the whole place is in deep trouble. If he's able to do that, the whole place is in deep trouble because we have to recreate everything and we're not agreeing on anything. So we have to come together here pretty soon. Yeah, and what I was saying in the beginning is people are more, far more alike than we are dissimilar. Our basic wants, desires, and needs are the same. It doesn't matter who we are. It really seems to me that the big divide here that's causing all of this, and now, first of all, the media, 
The media has the controlling say in how much we argue or don't argue if we're plugged into it and watching it at all, any media, because right. then we're not going with our true feelings, our intuition, and our conscience. So it's, very, it's a really fine line to walk. It to, is. To decide, do I want to even look at the headlines and see what this media says is going on right now or not? Because you don't, first of all, you don't know if there's any truth in it, but you don't want to disconnect from your own sense and your own feelings and your own intuitions. And you and I are both very intuitive and have our own senses of things. And even so, even us, and you're a highly intelligent, well-educated woman, and yet it's going to take both of us to kind of a different way of looking at the same problem. Okay, but we all agree that the problem is the same. So it starts with the media. It starts with Freud's nephew, Bernays, Edouard Bernays. Bernays right. is the one that really started really perfecting the art of mass manipulation through media. And, we, and that was, gosh, that was in the 20s, in the 30s, even getting women to smoke. You know, that's one of the famous ones. Um, uh, not only that, but my conversations with George Green years ago, with Aaron Russo before he died, and what they said about having contact with people who were at least at the fringes of the cabal, they do not wish us well. We all know that. Okay, so let's now take your story. I have it here. Let, okay, let's, let's go with Anastasia first, because that's going to lead us into the story of the six powerful people. You and I are both huge fans of the Anastasia Ringing Cedar series. I just did a book club on, on one of them, as a matter of fact. <laughs> okay. Um, I read the Ringing Cedar series, I don't know, some years ago, and there was this one little story, I think it was in book six. Six. Mm -hmm. And it was this um, vision that Anastasia had, and she was telling um, McGray that there was going to be this very, very wealthy billionaire who was in America, who was had lost his spark, he was having difficulty, and then he would fall in love. And when he fell in love, it would change what he decided to do with his life. And he would start working to stop the destruction of the planet, believe it or not, that he would begin making an effort to make life better for people, that he would take on this task of changing the world. And, and McGray, the author of the book, said, well, you just made that up, right? And she said, no, I didn't. No, that was a direct, you know, thing from the future. The names and the places may be a little bit different, but the story will be the same. And, and I read that at the time and thought, oh, wow. Then when Trump was elected um, and he started, you know, he, one of the things he did was to defund some of the environmental stuff. I was like, oh my God, he's, he's destroying, he's going to, you know, this is a bad thing. And then I realized as I, you know, as I started doing more and more research that that particular thing he defunded was a slush fund for murder, payoffs, wet works kinds of things, um, you know, bribery, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, Okay, so he really isn't against the environmental thing. He's, what he's doing is pulling the rug out from under 
the scams that have been set up to launder money, which were a lot of environmental things are just to launder money. And um, at that point, I remembered the Anastasia story and thought, son of a gun. So, so for you, that person appears to be Trump. Now, for someone else, they could say, maybe that person hasn't arrived yet. That's really that's put all this into action, and that's possible too. But the idea is that she said there is someone who's going to come and start turning the tide. Now, this gets right. to a really important point, and this is something that most people, I think, in a sense wish for or succumb to, and that is that someone's going to save us. The notion <laughs> oh. of a savior. And it Touché. doesn't matter it's fundamentalism, it doesn't matter, matter whether it's, you know, any religion in particular, um, perhaps except Buddhism. And so the notion of being saved, how does that, in your opinion, play into our deep psyche, the need oh. to be saved? That is the result of having been turned into infants over the last 50 years. That is what we call infantilization. It is the exact opposite of evolution and becoming powerful beings. If you have people who want to be saved and they're sitting back on their cushion waiting for a savior, they're going down. Because the Savior, quote-unquote Savior, is in themselves. It's their own consciousness and how they decide to act based on what their consciousness is. That's it in a nutshell. I agree with that, and I love the way you answered that. And yet, we're still looking for a Savior here, right? I mean, in a sense, people are thinking, no, Trump is... The people that are supporting Trump say, no, he's a knight in shining armor. We may not know it. He's a, he's a frog. You know, he's a baboon. He's all these things. But nonetheless, a flawed man, he's here to save us. Others are saying, like me, well, yes, I think he's necessary to rattle things that deeply. But I wouldn't say necessarily doing it consciously. So that's, that's my side of the camp. Then there are others just say, oh, my God, how can anyone think this? It's just a travesty. So we have kind of three camps going there. So yeah. let's acknowledge all of them because we're all in it for the same reasons. And you and I believe in self-responsibility. So we're going to put that at the top. But first of all, now let's look at the cabal, because we do have to find our way out of this mess where we are being controlled by other forces, both in this dimension and other dimensions, in my opinion. It's a combination of the two. So let's go back to your story and let's go back to Anastasia and talk about who, how she explained the cabal. Well, what she said in her story was that there were six men who had discovered in ancient times how to become eternal and that they had been very slowly working to get control of the entire planet. Her grandfather was one of those six men. The grandfather, evidently somewhere along the line, I don't know the exact timeline, if it was before Anastasia was born or after, but I suspect it was after because the whole story behind the Ringing Cedars um, series is about this woman, Anastasia, whose parents were killed by this Ringing Cedar tree 
which is a tree that begins to channel tremendous electrical energies, and you can't touch it at the point that it's channeling those energies, and it begins to ring. And they have to cut that. They have three years to cut it down. I don't know how they handle that because it, it killed her parents. The, she was left to be raised by her grandfather and her great-grandfather. I think it was her great-grandfather who was the member, one of these six men. And he, after the change of heart, got into some moment where he wanted to do something good. He was going to interfere with some kind of bomb or something. He stepped in, the bomb or whatever it was went off. He was blinded. He was blind for the rest of his life. He dropped out of the group. Anastasia, as she grew up, heard some of the stories evidently from him and decided she was going to counter this cabal and that she was going to make sure that they did not destroy the planet like they were planning to. And so, the, you know, I won't go any further than that. Yeah. But, um, that cabal has carried forward over time. They stay to the background. They're very quiet. They know how to manipulate people, um, et cetera. And, and they're, they're using all of that power that they've, you know, accumulated over time to really kind of move the world into a place where they have total control. So, and, and there's a lot of what I call lackeys taking money and power in order to be part of that. Agreed. The people that we read about, the people with faces and names are essentially, according to Anastasia and according to others, they're the lackeys. If you know their name, they're not the ones in true power. The ones That's in true right. power, and the way Anastasia describes it, is this person could be living next door to you in a little tract home. Um, it was interesting how she described them. Uh, if you were to look at them on their, in their personal lives because she was looking into them, they may seem like just an ordinary man that goes to maybe an ordinary job or doesn't go at all. But there's this blankness, this staring off into something else, calculating all the time, seemingly distant and remote from his family. Although on the outside, the appearances are that this person is just another guy next door and would never suspect the people in this position when it just takes a phone call to essentially change a country's destiny or an economic system's destiny. So that's how she painted it. One other thing I want to say about that uh, I have a friend who's just uh, borrowed all of my books to reread the series again. Uh, it's one of the only series I, I reread, and it's because of the purity of the words. Yes. Her words. It doesn't really matter about the topic. There is a such a high frequency to them that you have to consider that what she's saying has what he's written and attributing to her has to have some truth because that's not he's not capable of those kinds of thoughts himself according to his publisher who i've talked to yeah <laughs> and so please explain to us then now about uh more it, it, about how that has been playing out in our world and we're going to go through the presidencies and look how the cabal worked through the various u.s presidents so first of all we're going to start with truman and the confiscated japanese gold post-world war ii because you oh. and i have intersecting stories though you don't know that oh. on the subject but go ahead <laughs> Okay, so um, so Japan wanted to run the world. They started out attacking, invading, 
Um, and I won't go into that a whole lot, but one of their big goals um, was really to get their hands on everybody's gold, their jewels, their art, their technology, their everything of value. Um, they invaded uh, China. They just robbed China blind. And long story short, they, they couldn't get their ships out of or past the blockade that was uh, around China. And so they buried a whole lot of this stuff in the Philippines and um, elsewhere in Indonesia. So they, um, they brought, you know, so Japan lost. And when they did, the Americans found out that they had robbed all this gold and buried it in all these bunkers. Some of these bunkers are four acres, no, 16 acres, four stories deep with gold, silver, jewels, fabulous porcelain, um, etc. So, um, so the, the you know Truman finds out af, about this uh, about this gold and he decides to confiscate the gold, but he didn't tell anybody about this gold, and they kept it secret and it became this secret pot of money that funded a whole lot of really nefarious kinds of activities, bribery. It's been funding the cabal for a long, long time. And there's a fight on, I think, and has been going on for a while now in the background to get, you know, to get control of this gold. So Truman was one of the first presidents, um, you know, each one that came in after that may or may not have been read into that kind of, of activity, but each president that came in had either an alignment with the cabal or they were not aligned. John F. Kennedy was not aligned, so he was murdered publicly in front of at the entire world. Um, and, you know, that was, they then reversed a whole bunch of his executive orders and said, no, we're not doing that, we're not doing that, and, you know, and the financial system is going to stay the way it is because the financial system we currently have is the funding source for the cabal along with drugs along with the whole sexual thing along with the whole satanism thing so yes the, the president the, after that um either had to agree to go along with it or they were going to take him out I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. And I, I, there are many, many books on this topic, including those by the late Jim Mars, who I just loved. I love Jim wow. Mars. <laughs> and Jim Mars wrote about this as well at that really, and Danny Sheehan, uh, the powerful attorney Danny Sheehan, say the world changed after Kennedy was murdered. And of course, then his brother was murdered on camera publicly as well. 
uh, Sirhan Sirhan, who we have pretty much pieced together now, was an MK Ultra plant by the government who had this done by the cabal. Um, and it's very sad actually watching Sirhan's testimony, which is you can find on tape. He's saying, "I, I, I don't, I don't think I did that." You know, he, the confusion. He didn't really know what they were accusing him of. And so I found that it made me cry, actually. Okay. So using these people to carry out heinous crimes in public to send a big message. So we're through the Kennedys now, okay? And so let's move on now because we go to um, Nixon, who took us off the gold standard, even though he had his own agendas. Talk about Nixon for a moment. Um, well, there's a lot that could be said about Nixon, but basically, yeah, yeah, he, um, he had his own ideas. He wanted to open up China. The cabal wanted China to be this mysterious place in the background where they were setting up to be the next world power. They were going to take down the U.S. and make China the next world power. And then along comes Nixon and he says, well, I'm going to China. And they were not happy. And I, I'm not sure whether he was actually set up with that Watergate thing or not. But even if he was, I mean, if he was set up, he didn't handle it correctly at all. And so they got rid of him. They were able to crucify him in the news. And, and they got rid of him. He finally resigned rather than be impeached. And it was just the threat of impeachment because you cannot spy on a president or a candidate for the president that's against our laws. And, and that there's something I want to add in here that I think is really important. I think we've lost sight of what is the difference between a republic and a democracy. A republic is a state that says, we elected officials will guarantee your rights as a human being come first before anything else. A democracy is just kind of, it always degenerates into mob rule. Whoever's in power gets to have the say, and that's right where we're at. And we, if we want to maintain our republic, we're gonna to have to deal with the mob rule, which is what the cabal has degenerated into. So That requires us raising our consciousness considerably um, yes. to be able to make that change effectively too. So, so here you have Nixon. So in addition to all of that, he handled it badly, tried to cover it up. We've all heard the tapes. Um, that did not go well, but he took us off the gold standard. Let's look at the implication of that. Yeah. When he did that, that made fiat money, the, the powerhouse and you could print as much as you want. So I don't think people know that a lot of that billions and billions and billions of dollars have been being printed in other countries and used to bribe, you know, or pay mercenaries to do things in places that we should not be doing things. Ukraine, Syria, Egypt, you know, places like that, Libya, um, that whole fiasco, we are now at the point point of saying how do we fix this they have printed a lot of money that is not on the united states books right so yes. and we've talked some i've interviewed Catherine austin fitz on this topic and some others trillions of dollars 
trillions of dollars have gone missing. So right. here we go. That was not a good thing. That wasn't acting on behalf of the Republic at all. Um, John, John F. Kennedy was really trying to push the envelope and uh, moving away from the Federal Reserve uh, to a national currency that was part of his agenda, which would not make him popular among many of his agendas. Okay, right. now we go to uh, Gerald Ford, who uh, brought Nelson Rockefeller. Um, who is a, fa a faced representative of the cabal, one with a face, you know, one of the minions. Right. Right into center stage. Let's talk about his. Well, when Ford took over as president, when Ford stepped in, um, he really was kind of a dish rag. You know, I don't mean to insult his memory, but he really didn't speak up he really didn't do anything the whole powerhouse behind him was the rockefeller family because he bought brought nelson rockefeller in as his vice president and they ran it and ford was just kind of like the the figurehead out in the front so he, the whole presidency or the rest of nixon's presidency went by and nothing was accomplished at all the, I think the Rockefellers and the Cabal were able to dig in a little bit deeper, so. Well, and also let's talk about what was happening simultaneously. This was really when uh, the women's liberation movement was starting to really get its legs, right? Okay, yeah. now Aaron Russo, who was dating one of Rockefeller, I, I don't think it was Nelson, it was one of the Rockefeller brothers. I don't know if it was. David? Or David, it could have been David. Don't recall, you can go watch my interview with him. You can, other people are posting it online so you can find it. He's talking about, uh, at a dinner party, he was dating the daughter and they said, you don't think the women's liberation movement was organic? We funded that thing and we funded it for a good purpose to get women back uh, to work so that we can start doubling up on the tax rolls because that's how we make our money is through taxation. And so he admitted that to Aaron and Aaron only did a couple interviews. One was with me and you can find it out there where he talks about that. Now there's something else too. And uh, everybody, I'm going to warn you in advance. I'm not suggesting you go here because it is very, very dark, but just to kind of add some complexity to the story underneath this whole story and Penny, your book gets into it. Um, and that is the story of utilizing innocent energy for power, to gain power through rituals and such. So pedophilia is part of this whole story, and it underlies the cabal in their power principle. Well, in Kathy O'Brien's book, Trans, uh, Transcend, Transcendence in America or something, you'll find it, uh, Transformation, T-R-A-N-C-E, Transformation of America, she talks about her start into that really vile, experience as Gerald Ford, Gerald Ford and George Romney, that she was taken in and groomed by them. So whether this is true or not, it, that would indicate Gerald Ford was more than just a dish rag. There was some nefarious stuff going on. So I'm just putting it out there that these stories, the more you dig, the more complex it gets. I do not recommend people read that book, actually. Um, just know that we have this corruption at the core of power seekers. And I just wanted to bring that in just to make the story, just show a, a little more complexity to maybe just how deep it is. So let's move on to him, from him to Carter, who we all agree was an innocent and a good man. He was yeah. not the cabal. 
That's true. Um, Carter was the next one in place when he won. They just simply packed his entire cabinet with all of the corrupt members who were working to um, take over the U.S., moving it. They were moving it in a direction in which they were trying to break up the family. Because if you can break up the family, you don't have it, you're, you're, you lose the cohesiveness of your culture. And, um, and that was the women's lib thing was also, you know, I had that as its target as well. So um, the whole thing, let's see, um, what would I say about that? Carter, they just kept him distracted the whole time with one crisis after the next. And he didn't, he wasn't able to do anything that was what I would call statesmanlike or that would move the country forward, he was frustrated at every level. Well, so, the whole controversy at the end around the captives in the embassy in Iran, and he, they had apparently actually negotiated a deal, but uh, there was a deal made with the cabal, by, uh, by the cabal, that they would not allow those people to be released until Reagan took office because he was their boy. That's right. That's right. So they made sure that Carter had nothing that they could, that anybody could point to and say, well, he did this or he did that. Um, and so they're excellent. They have, a, they have excellent techniques for stonewalling as long as nobody's aware of what's happening. Exactly. So, so now comes Reagan. Yeah. So Reagan gets in there and he's, he had ideas of his own, just like John Kennedy and Nixon. And he said, no, we're not having, I'm not having George Bush as my vice president. Sorry. And all, you know, right up to the night of the, that he accepted the nomination for the Republican Party, he kept saying, nope, 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 we're not having any of the Bushes. I don't want any part of that. Then right after, as soon as the whole Republican National Convention was over, some men in dark suits came up to him and escorted him somewhat forcibly, I've heard, into a room in which they uh, spent several hours. And when they, when Reagan came out of that room, flanked by these men in dark suits, he said, we're going to have George Bush as the vice president. And he was clearly not happy about that. And the plan was to get Reagan in there have George Bush as the vice president assassinate Reagan and slide their boy, their CIA boy, right into the top spot. But it didn't work out. You know, Reagan ended up surviving the assassination attempt. Um, the kid who shot him was put in a jail and <laughs> allowed to go to work every day and come home to the jail at night, similar to the Epstein story, actually. Um, and then just kind of slid away. I don't know where that kid is at nowadays, but um, I don't think he was really the kid who pulled the trigger. I think there were some other people on board that were trying to shoot and they got the wrong guy. You know, they shot somebody in the head. So Reagan ended up finishing out his um, his presidency, but they were slowly poisoning him, and he became more and more demented as the presidency went on. And at the end, I remember hearing him speak, 
thinking, oh my God, is that our president? He couldn't put two thoughts together. He couldn't well, assign to just clear garden variety Alzheimer's, but you're saying that you think he, he was actually poisoned to create dementia. The word behind the scenes is that he was worked on from two angles, one from poison and another electronically. Okay. All right. So now, first of all, we need to get to the it's a little background there um, that George Bush Sr. was apparently, among uh, other uh, people, present uh, on the day of Kennedy's assassination. We could go into a lot of backstories mm -hmm. around Johnson, things that were said at an event the night before and so forth, but he was there too. So he, we wow. know that he'd been working it for a long time. Uh, it, George, wow. George H. Scherf, we, he was German, born in Germany, different person, you can go read about that. But this man comes up again and again as a very deep part of the cabal. So I'm just setting the stage. He was there for the other assassination as well. Okay, so now George uh, Bush Sr. comes into office as president. Let's talk about that. Well, as soon as he came in as president, he began um, all sorts of, of uh, deals. Let's see, what year? I forget what year he actually was elected. Um, 88, maybe? When was Clinton in there? <laughs> um, or maybe 80. Let's see, Reagan was 80. So my years mixed up too, right? Okay, he was in there before Clinton. And Clinton came in, what, around 90, 92? I'm going to say 92. So yeah. I think George Bush only had one, one um, four-year stint. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it might have been 88. But he, he got in there and he just facilitated all kinds of um, of what I'll call deals and, and et cetera, that really, that took us down the rabbit hole a little bit further. Um, he had, there's so much I could say, I'm struggling. Oh, don't worry, we'll just, we'll just cut to the brief on it. We kind of know who Poppy is, okay, and that becomes important. Just the word Poppy, P-O-P-P-Y, will come up again when we right. start on to Okay. And then it so, yeah. So one of the things he did was to betray Saddam Hussein so that they would have an excuse to go and invade Iraq. And then they chased, um, you know, somebody into, I think it's bin Laden, into Afghanistan and said, oh, we have to go after him as well. Um, but Poppy actually had set up when he was president all of these poppy fields for opium supplies in Afghanistan. And those, um, those opium fields were supplying the cabal with a huge money stream. They had also built plants for processing, um, you know, the opium. And they had channels, very quiet channels for bringing that opium and other drugs into um, all over the world, not just into the U.S., but all over the world and big money involved there. And I think um, that, you know, he, that's how he got his nickname, Poppy Bush. It really wasn't anything to do with the fact that he was the head of the Bush clan, the father of that Bush clan. Um, and, and when you look back at where he started, if you look at the photos of him and his Nazi buddies um, before they actually came over here, um, 
it's really clear that there was just a total transformation of the man, his name, his original name from George H. Scherf to George H. Walker Bush. Um, and then his very, everything about him was scrubbed from the internet. Very difficult to find anything that's consistent and coherent in his past um, and anybody he's associated with. And it was not until I read the papers of Otto Scorzani that I realized, oh my gosh, you know, this is not, we've already had a Nazi as our president. <laughs> so, um, so that whole process of moving the New World Order, um, New World Order, NWO, actually being the natural, it's actually the natural world order. And the natural world order is, we're the Nazis, we're the boss, we're the natural leaders, do as we say. So Okay, well, I'm just going to throw a couple things in there, too. Um, in the 80s, this was in the early 80s, um, I happened to have a friend, a man, who was um, candid because we were all close with him. There were just a few of us who was quite wealthy, it seemed, yet he was supposed to be just a commercial pilot. Um, and he said, and he had happened to fly in where we were, he would fly in in a small aircraft. And he said, well, I make my money by transporting drugs uh, from South America and Mexico across the US border for the CIA. Now this is long before I'd ever heard of conspiracy or any of this. I was like, what? I mean, this is early eighties. I was, you know, almost 40 years ago, I was in shock. Well, President Bush, uh, George, Herbert Walker Bush would not have been surprised by any of this. Another thing is I was handed a document um, by a man I will not name, but Neil Keenan knew him well. And they were all fully aware of uh, what was going on in the Philippines and deeply involved. And this document he gave to me early on when we first started communicating had to do with the chain of events of how they were smuggling also um, opium and such out of the Golden Triangle in the cadavers of soldiers. And so we know that they were running drugs in that way as well. They were running drugs from all sources all over the world. So it appears uh, George Herbert Walker was deeply involved in, in all of that from what we have both read from all of these sources and what I have been told personally. So again, back to Poppy Bush, not a good character historically. So then we go on to Clinton and it was interesting because you say this was a continuation of the Bushes, so to speak, the same thing. That's right. And then at the very end uh, of Clinton's presidency, after he's out of office, you're seeing all these, these little, they look like fishing buddies. Yeah. Doing all these events together, George yeah. Bush and, um, and Clinton. So let's talk about what that, that relationship out of Mena, Arkansas was about according to your sources. Okay, so the reason that Bill Clinton got to be um, president was because when he was the governor of, of Arkansas, he had facilitated a little airport over in Mena, Arkansas, it's over on the west side, um, being a, a part of the drug running operation for the Bushes. And he had been very cooperative. He had had some people taken out that were saying, hey, there's something funny going on there, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and Clinton really was able to be manipulated left and right because all he was interested in was sex. 
and it didn't matter with who. <laughs> and, and so a little sex, a little drugs, a little money, and Clinton was happy, and, and he would stand up there and say whatever they told him to say. And he wasn't really paying attention, but his wife was paying big attention. Hillary Clinton was had her eye on the presidency, and she was working to get everybody out of the way who might say anything negative about them. And so, you know, Clinton gets in there, and of course he gets caught with Monica Lewinsky, and they impeached him but said, well, let him stay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, okay, we just needed to embarrass you to make sure you know who's the boss here. And, um, and then Clinton passed, you know, after his time was up, he actually facilitated quite a few deals um, that were really um, questionable in other countries, payoffs, big payoffs, um, et cetera. A lot of wet works went on under Clinton. And then finally he well, was- I don't no. think we know what wet works is. Um, most people listening wouldn't know, but don't, don't go into it too much, just maybe. Yeah, it's just murder. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, Clinton was really into um, the deepest part of the intrigue. He was a very useful um, front man and has continued to try to act in that capacity. Um, not as much as Obama has, but Clinton was, um, he was really not what everybody thought he was. Well, and also we learned that recently that he was apparently, according to the logs on Epstein's um, private aircraft going to the island about a, two dozen times. So he was a regular there. And again, we're talking about uh, sexual misconduct, uh, misuse of power, uh, sex with underage people, rituals and so forth that runs throughout. This, is, this crosses all party lines. This is cabal. It has nothing to do with Democrats, Republicans, or progressives, or anything else. This is just power at the yeah. top of the minions of the, those who control. Yeah, I think um, it's really important to get away from the labels Republican, Democrat, liberal, progressive, all that. These are people. They are either criminals or they're honorable. And, and if they're criminals, then why slap a Democrat label or a Republican label or a progressive or a liberal? Why do that? Because that's just a distraction from the truth of the criminality that's going on. And when Clinton was, um, when he was finished with his presidency, he and his wife set up the Clinton Foundation and they did not do the paperwork that was necessary to make it a legitimate nonprofit. Uh, the Clinton Library, that was the foundation originally was for the library. And what it was really doing was trafficking children. In, and one of their favorite places was out of Haiti. And they got caught, kind of, but the news didn't, they didn't report that correctly. The news has not been helpful. The mainstream news has not been helpful. So, um, you know, so Clinton, th then once he was out of office, he just continued his corruption. So, the, you know, so then after Clinton, we had George Bush Jr. 
and um, he was part of the takedown of the of the trade centers. It was really tragic. Yeah, I think everybody watching this understands that that was not an organic event. And I always right. after read so many books and interviewed so many people. I ultimately refer people to Dr. Judy Wood's book, Where Did the Towers Go? Because in my opinion, she has the most rational story and she had everything to lose and nothing to gain by telling that story. And she was right. telling it. You can also watch my interview with her. Um, on Gaia, it was a very moving interview with her, and uh, I just, I, I just, I have immense respect for her. So let's just say it was an inside job. We're not going to go any further than that, just to say we all know that. So let's get on with the rest of the story. Yeah. So what Bush did, he knew at the point that he was getting to the end of his uh, presidency, he was. Um, he was not part of the 16-year plan, which we're going to come to in a minute, but he was very much part of the let's privatize everything. So he sold off all sorts of institutional services to private people. And as soon as it was sold to a private corporation, the motive became not service, but profit. And, and he also was part of the buildup. I had a good friend who, um, who explained this to me back when I was in my naive days. And he was a therapist at Terre Haute, the high security prison in Terre Haute, Indiana. And he said to me, um, they're building prisons just specifically to be able to hold the people that they are going to pick up for you know whatever reason they want to pick up and put in these prisons and they have to work then for the United States government for 25 cents an hour that's where the drug story gets really really nefarious and makes me very angry because they flooded disadvantaged neighborhoods particularly african american neighborhoods with these drugs i know then they started tightening the drug laws they started building the prisons which are for profit and stuffing these guys in there, just mercilessly drawing right. them in and stuffing them in prison to become essentially a work, a slave workforce. That's and right. The prison system is, that's a whole other story, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the private prison system it was is one of the scams, just like the climate change thing is one of the scams. So, you know, so... Bush privatized everything. He sold off everything. I'm watching this and I'm just grieving, thinking, what is going on? This is going from bad to worse. And, you know, by this time, I have been watching for 30 or 40 years, and I'm seeing this constant down, downward spiral of the U.S., and then, you know, Obama comes well, let's, in. Uh, let's go for just one more Okay. One more moment on the Bush thing. After the towers came down within three weeks' time, maybe voila, we have the Patriot Act. Big, fat document. Yeah. It had been written long before the towers went down. Right. Just at a time when people were traumatized. In addition, the sources that I was looking into at the time, and I think this has been documented elsewhere, uh, showed that the contracts for rebuilding Iraq were issued to Root and Brown, Halliburton, and such before uh, the attack ever happened, the attack, the inside job ever happened. So this was right. 
again, this was the cabal at its most brazen, in my opinion. And now the people who are already starting to feel quite discouraged and uh, listless now have this trauma. And now we go to the airport and they're literally putting their hands between your legs. I know. Humiliating people in the name of security in ridiculous ways. So now we're really feeling like we're in a police state by the time George Bush leaves office and Obama comes in and we have the night where everyone's cheering. Yes, change. We have change coming. Finally, change is coming. And the world was swept up in all of this change. But what he actually did was different. Yeah, that's true. Obama was the um, was the first half of the 16-year plan. And he in the 16-year plan was going to be Obama's presidency for eight years and then Hillary's for eight years. And, uh, and I forget, it's been a while since I wrote the book now. Um, Obama had specific things that he was going to accomplish, and he really did accomplish those. And Hillary's list was going to be start the next war, collapse the economic system, um, you know, some other things that were involved in that as well. And then, voila, we would be in such chaos that these new people would sweep in and say, we'll fix it. Exactly. Let's, Let's just be clear on it because I voted for Obama. I thought, yes, change. I'm ready for some change, a breath of fresh air. However, I have to tell you about a vision I had just before he was elected because I thought, oops. But the the reality is um, it turned into still a continuation of kind of a terms of foreign policy and neocon agenda. And under Obama, we literally at one point ran out of bombs. We couldn't make them fast enough. We were dropping them on so many people. So yes, he was a very elegant, well-spoken man, a gentleman, seemed to be a good family man, but whatever he was doing for the country was not helping. The vision I had, and I do want to share this, um, I... I thought, who is this man, really? I closed my, some of this will sound crazy, but our visions can sound crazy. It turned out to be true, though. I closed my eyes, and the first thing that happened was the screen was dark, because usually it starts dark and then starts revealing itself, as you know, probably sometimes that way. And then I heard horses um, on dry ground and saw dust rising from horses that were um, galloping at a galloping pace, and he was on a lead horse. And it showed that he had been a powerful figure in times past, um, almost a Genghis Khan type of figure. And he had learned that ruling in that way doesn't gain you any collaborative efforts. And he was back and he was going to be ruling from a more subtle, different way. But then it showed, however, while the soul is ready to do do the hard work the personality may well not be and he stood on the shoulders of powerful people to get where he's going and in the end he may well simply fall into a state of um obligation and becoming essentially a house servant to those the to the cabal and disappoint all the people and when this disappointment happened, that there would be revolution that would occur out of the anger and disappointment at his not having served the people. And that's when there would be a significant shift in whatever would happen politically was at the end of Obama. And it showed that that was the likely path of what was going to happen. Because yeah. he knew also, if he didn't do it, there was an implication that his family 
um, his children, his wife, all would be put in a dangerous position. So there are practical elements of being threatened as well, and they were all threatened. So he disappointed us. We were really angry. And what I want to do, Penny, is from there, that's where the story of Trump entering the scene begins and where even more division is fostered. But at the end of it, we're all starting to see through a lot of these these the curtains are parting we're all beginning to see through a lot of these different agendas and different ways from our own perspectives and it's taking us in my opinion somewhere powerful now recently you had a feeling just a month or so ago that something's happening please share that with us because this is going to end up the part of talk one we're going to go into trump and then the world itself and the visions we've had and what the brown the the brown robes showed you okay so let's talk okay. about this feeling that you had recently. Um, so regularly, I tune in just to see what I can pick up. And for the last two or three years, it was getting worse every month because I do this maybe once a month, just kind of a you know check-in kind of process. And in the middle of July, I'm tuning in and I'm thinking, hey, It doesn't look as bad. People are not as angry. They're not as viciously antagonistic as they have been in these other months that I was looking at. And um, and that was such a surprise. So then I that was happening early in the morning. And then I get in my car and I had to do some errands in Kalamazoo. And I I'm walking down the sidewalk in this big shopping center, and somebody goes by me laughing and smiling. She's got all these boxes and bags, and she's trying to juggle all these, and she's kind of half talking to herself and half talking to me, and she says, I don't know why I need all this stuff. I don't know why we need all this stuff, and she's laughing, and I just burst out laughing when she said that. And then um, I go a little bit further, and I'm going into the Barnes and Noble bookstore, and the man coming out opens the door, bows, and says, "I hope you have a wonderful day." And I was like, oh, "You know." And then there was somebody else did something similar, and I was so surprised. I thought, you know what? The mood of this morning, which was a little bit kinder, gentler, a little bit less antagonistic is being played out right here. I loved it. I think we're turning the corner. We have another six months in which we really have to be uh, paying attention to the hard stuff, paying attention to what we don't want to know because it's, we don't want to know it because it's painful. But if we can hold that space, we can transform that space. I agree with you, and I've had a similar uh, experience lately. There's a kind of a a waking up, and uh, in fact, I wrote about an experience very recently in um, a blog, uh, my blog, facebook.com, it's slash Regina Journalist. A lot of times people go to the page I never use, but if you scroll down to a blog that starts out by saying, what a day, it again explains this incredible situation had through the kindness of others, and the rub here is that the kindness of others happened through what appeared to be an illegal Mexican immigrant (laughs) 
saved our lives, who was the most kind, wonderful person. And then the story goes on. And so you might check that blog out because it really, you see there are almost 200 comments on it. It really gave people this wonderful sense of togetherness and hope. And I, that's why I want us to end this one. People can go ahead and look into, go ahead and look into all the things Penny and I have been talking about. Do your own research. When we come back next week, we're going to finish this conversation and we're going to talk about all what, what all's coming into play for our future, including our distinctly different but complementary visions for the earth itself. So until next time, first of all, Penny, I want to thank you. We're going to sign off now, but we'll come back in a little bit, get a cup of tea, come back and do part two uh, that we'll broadcast in a week. Thank you so much, Penny. Very well. Thank you. <laughs> okay, everybody, until next time, uh, thank you for joining us here on ReginaMeredith.com.